Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Thursday show for week 20. That's March 2nd of 2023. I am your host, Karsten. Uh, since it's a Thursday, we're going to be doing our franchise focus segment in addition to our normal game summaries and uh, key news. Uh, if you're new to the show, basically with our franchise focus, the effort is to give uh, a, a, lot, a specific amount of time to each franchise uh, in the NBA. You know, we find to, as we're going through a, a season cycle covering, you know, the, the season as it progresses, there are a handful of teams that don't get very much coverage, if any coverage, simply because they're not one of the high performing teams that season. There's not a big storyline, you know, whatever it might be. And so our goal is to, to have at least one episode where we focus on each franchise. So that's that's the point of these franchise focuses episodes. Today, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Mavericks. Before we get into that, of course, we do need to do our normal game summary. So, so let's jump right into that. Firstly, uh, again, this is last night's action, uh, March 1st, that action. Firstly, the, the game everyone was kind of paying attention to, the Phoenix Suns in Charlotte against the Hornets. Kevin Durant making his debut for the Phoenix franchise, and they come out on top in Charlotte, 105-91. to 91. Uh, And the Suns didn't really have too many issues, at least in this game, getting Durant acclimated to their team uh, team concept or team structure. The Suns never trailed in this game. by let They led as much as 20 points. Uh, for Charlotte, they were led by Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre Jr. Uh, Rozier had 20 points. Uh, Kelly Oubre Jr. had 26 points and nine rebounds. Mark Williams, 11 points, 10 boards. Hayward adds 15 points of his own. Meanwhile, for the Suns, uh, Durant with 23 points in his Phoenix debut, um, aided by Devin Booker's 37 points, uh, 16 points, 16 rebounds for DeAndre Ayton, Ayton's strong game inside. Uh, Chris Paul added 11 assists to power the, the Suns machine to a victory there. Uh, so definitely something exciting for the Suns fans. We'll have to keep an eye on the Suns going forward. I'm sure everyone's going to be talking about them, uh, and especially as we're getting close to the end of the season, going into the playoffs, what that looks like for them. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk about that next game. The Chicago Bulls win a close one in Detroit against the Pistons uh, in kind of a close game. Chicago led big in through much of the game in the fourth quarter. The Pistons made a rally. They tied it a few times, but then Chicago was able to uh, survive that run and still come out on top. For Detroit, they were led by Boyan Bogdanovich again, as you kind of expect, their leading scorer, 34 points. Uh, he's led them in scoring this season as well as this game specifically. Uh, 18 for Jaden Ivey, 19 off the bench for Hamadou Diallo, and 11 each for Killian Hayes and Alec Burks. Uh, but the the Bulls, of course, Zach Levine led, leading the charge this time, 41 points for him in this game, 21 for DeMar DeRozan, those two combining for 62 points in this game, uh, 10 assists, 10 rebounds for Patrick Beverly, the new starting point guard uh, for this season in place of Lonzo Ball. You, you imagine if they keep him next year, he'll be the backup to Lonzo, but uh, for the remainder of this season, he'll be the starter, and he put together a nice uh, stat sheet in that game. Uh, Vucevic added 12 points and nine rebounds of his own. Uh, they also had 14 points off the bench from Kobe White as they get that win against Detroit. Next, uh, the Boston Celtics hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers come out on top in a close one, a uh, close matchup of two of the East's best teams. Uh, back and forth through the first quarter and close through the first half, but then the Celtics took a big lead, uh, withstood a late scare, and came out on top in this one. 
for the Cavaliers, Donovan Mitchell uh, played a tough game. I saw reports that he might have even had a, a lingering injury or got injured at some point in this game, but still played through. Finished with 44 points. Uh, very strong effort indeed. 29 points for Darius Garland. So the backcourt guy is getting it done for Cleveland. Uh, Evan Mobley, 12 points, 13 rebounds. Jarrett Allen, the defensive stalwart, three steals and two blocks. Cleveland, a nice all-around game, but Boston is just a little bit better than them, or they were in this particular game. 41 points, 11 rebounds, eight assists for Jason Tatum. He was shooting very well from the floor, uh, above 60% from the floor and from three-point range. 23 points, 11 rebounds for Horford, uh, 16 points for Jalen Brown, 11 and 11 for Robert Williams III. So Robert Williams III, Horford, and Tatum combining for 33 rebounds, controlling the glass, and therefore uh, that helped them win this game. So congratulations to the Celtics on that one. Uh, Next, the Philadelphia 76ers on the road in Miami get the win, uh, 119 to 96, really not too, too close of a game. Uh, it was close through that first quarter, and then the Sixers took a big lead and never really looked back. Uh, for Miami, it was Bam Adebayo leading the scoring charge. He had 20 points, uh, 16 points for Jimmy Butler, 13 for Max Struess coming off the bench. Uh, meanwhile, for the Sixers, Tyrese Maxey led all scorers, 27 points, 23 points from James Harden, and 18 from Tobias Harris. They also had 16 points, 14 rebounds from Paul Reed off the bench, along with two blocks as the Sixers get it done, even without Joel Embiid in this game. So very, uh, very good job for them there. Next, uh, a a pretty big win for the Knicks in the Battle of the Burrows at home against the Brooklyn Nets. The New York Knicks Knicks won, win that one, 142 to 118. Uh, Yeah, not, not too much of a contest. Uh, the Knicks led by as much as 30 points, uh, nearly winning by that much uh, at the end of it. For the Nets, they were led by Cameron Johnson this time. He had 33 points. Mikael Bridges with 21 points. Uh, Dinwiddie with 11 points, 10 assists. Uh, those three seem to be the leaders of your, your offensive end for this Nets squad. 15 off the bench for Cam Thomas. Uh, but for the Knicks, though, it was Jalen Brunson again, 39 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds. Uh, 21 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists for Julius Randle. 13 points, 11 rebounds for Mitchell Robinson. 22 points for Quentin Grimes. This Knicks team has really found a rhythm lately. Uh, They also had 15 points each from Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett. Uh, Josh Hart didn't even have uh, that huge of a scoring game. I like what the Knicks have going depth-wise. I won't talk too much about them because, again, we're just doing game summaries. But, yeah, big win against the Nets. They've got great momentum and a great win for the New York Knicks. Next, the uh, Houston Rockets lose another one at home, this time to the Memphis Grizzlies, who win it 113-99. to um, Of course, with the Spurs having won a game recently, the Rockets now have the longest losing streak in the NBA. This puts their losing streak, I believe, at 11 games. Yes, that is that was their 11th straight loss. It was close through the first half, and then the Grizzlies uh, tightened things up in the second half and ran away with this one. Um, for the Rockets, it was... Jalen Green leading all scorers for the Rockets, 20 points. Uh, they got 19 points from Kenny Martin Jr., uh, 11 each for Shangun, Kevin Porter Jr. back in the lineup, and Jay Sean Tate. Uh, they also had 10 points from Terry Eason. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies, they had John Morant with 20, seven rebounds, seven assists. 
Desmond Bain, 30 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Maybe one of the best games he's played this season. 17 points from Jaron Jackson Jr., 16 from Dylan Brooks, and the Grizzlies get a, uh, a handle. They handle their business in Houston, I guess, if we, if we want to uh, phrase it that way. Next, we have three games left here. The first of those three, the Milwaukee Bucks continue their dominant win streak at home against the Orlando Magic, 139 to 117. That is the Bucks' 16th straight victory. For the Magic, they had a decent performance from their, their guys. They were led by Cole Anthony's 28 points coming off the bench. Uh, Markel Fultz had 21 points of his own, along with seven rebounds and five assists. Uh, 19 points, 10 boards for Wendell Carter Jr., 18 points for Franz Wagner. For the Bucks, though, uh, Giannis and that supporting cast was just a little bit too much to overcome. Giannis with 31 points, seven rebounds, six assists. He's back in the lineup for them. Good to see he didn't miss too much time there. 23 points, nine assists for Drew Holiday. The rest of the starters all scored in double figures. They had 12 points off the bench from AJ Green, and the Bucks get the victory there at home. Continue that uh, incredible win streak. Uh, next, the Los Angeles Lakers in kind of a must-win game, a very important game for their uh, playoff hopes, especially with their recent blows uh, as far as missing LeBron and Anthony Davis with injury troubles. Uh, they win in Oklahoma City against the Thunder, 123-117. to uh, One of the teams they're very close to in the standings. This definitely helps out the Lakers push to try and slip into a play-in type spot. Uh, Back-and-forth game, especially through the second and third quarters. Uh, the Lakers come out on top, though, especially in that fourth quarter. For the Thunder, they were without Shea Gilgis-Alexander again, so their leading scorer was Jalen Williams. That's L-E-N Williams again, 24 points for him. They had 20, excuse me, 22 points, <clears throat> 11 assists, 9 rebounds for Josh Giddy, uh, and 19 points for Lou Dort. Uh, however, the Lakers, we mentioned, they're the winners in this game. Dennis Schroeder, 26 points. Uh, 19 points for Troy Brown Jr., 19 off the bench for Austin Reeves, uh, 10 rebounds off the bench for Wendy and Gabriel as well as the Lakers get that victory. And finally, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans winning in Portland against the Trailblazers, 121 to 110. Another matchup of two teams close in the standings in that Western Conference, that Wild West. Uh, that ends that ends the Pelicans' recent four-game losing streak. Very close game throughout, and then they the Pelicans had a nice run in the fourth to separate themselves and ultimately claim the victory here. For the Trailblazers, Damian Lillard continued his torrid stretch, 41 points and eight rebounds on uh, some pretty good shooting. His three-point percentage was a touchdown, 28 points for Jeremy Grant. Uh, but then the Pelicans, they had 40 from Brandon Ingram themselves, 24 points for C.J. McCollum, uh, Lillard's former backcourt mate. He also had seven rebounds, seven assists, 15 off the bench for Jackson Hayes as the Pelicans come out on top in that one. So that was your nine-game slate from last night's action. A lot of stuff going on, uh, a lot of exciting games, exciting performances. Let's go ahead and jump to our key news. We have a few items for you today. Firstly, um, a little bit more specifics on LeBron's injury with the Lakers. Uh, reports are that he's going to have that tendon injury checked in three weeks. So we have a little bit more specifics. It's a tendon injury of some sort with that that foot ankle area. Uh, he will have that checked in three weeks, so he'll be missing even a little a touch more time than maybe we had thought. We thought at least a couple weeks. Now it's three weeks. Uh, so definitely some some tough news for the Lakers there. Um, for the Thunder, they had some injury news of their own. Uh, 
Kenrick Williams is expected to miss the remainder of the season with a left wrist injury that he's, he sustained in, uh, I believe it was last night's game against the Lakers. So uh, tough news there. Uh, he's a valuable player for that team. Uh, valuable, you know, a veteran, quote unquote, veteran presence. He hasn't been in the league too long, but on that roster, he's one of the, the seasoned vets. So definitely a tough loss for both those teams. Uh, we definitely wish both those guys in the, be- the best in recovering from their respective injuries. Um, interesting note out of the, the Bucks organization, Giannis Antetokounmpo, along with his brothers, uh, Thanasis, Costas, and Alex, uh, they have become part owners of Nashville uh, SC which is an MLS club, the Major League Soccer Club in Nashville. So kind of an interesting note there. I guess uh, Giannis is diversifying his portfolio, if we want to phrase it that way. So that's a fun note there. Uh, Next, we have some transactions to note. This first one isn't quite official yet, but it's reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be signing guard Jarrett Butler to a two-way contract, a former jazz man. Uh, good to see him get another shot in the league here. Uh, the Wizards are sh- signing center Jay Huff to a two-way contract. He's been a G League standout, so that's a good signing as well. Uh, the Clippers are trading two-way contracts. They've waived guard Keaton Wallace, who was their, uh, one of their two two-way contract players, and they've signed guard Xavier Moon. Uh, to that spot, that two-way contract spot. So that's their signing there. And finally, the Golden State Warriors are signing guard Lester Quinones to a 10-day contract. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, but they're signing him to a 10-day. So he has a you know just a few games to play for the Warriors. So congratulations there for all those guys getting their you know signings and all that nature, all that stuff. Finally, um, we had our monthly awards announced: uh, Coach of the Month, Player of the Month, Rookie of the Month for both conferences. Firstly, coaches of the month, uh, Mike Budenholzer of the Milwaukee Bucks for the Eastern Conference and Mike Brown of the Sacramento Kings of the Western Conference are this the NBA's coaches of the month for February. Congratulations to them. Uh, rookies of the month for February, Paolo Bancaro of the Orlando Magic and Walker Kessler of the Utah Jazz. Uh, definitely, I'm especially excited about that as a Jazz fan. Uh, they're rookies of the month in the East and the West, respectively. Congratulations to them. Finally, the NBA's players of the month for February. Uh, Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks for the East and Nicole Jokic of the Denver Nuggets for the West. So congratulations to those guys. Congratulations to all of those people uh, for for those monthly awards being recognized for what they did in the month of February. And with that, that takes care of our key news. So let's go ahead and jump into our franchise focus. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks in this episode. And, uh, you know, for the Mavericks, it's it's all about Luka. And that's you know, very you know, if we had to do a, a very short, you know, you have one sentence to summarize the current Ma- Mavericks team and direction, it's all about Luka. I mean, looking over the last five years, that's kind of our outlook. We look at what's happened over the last few years and then what the outlook is for the team going forward. You know, uh, five years ago, it was Dirk's last season in the NBA, and it was Luka's first season in the NBA. So this this five-year stretch has been def- defined by that uh passing of the torch at the beginning and now this is definitively Luca's team Luca's one of the best players in the NBA unequivocally um last year in the playoffs they go on a, a small bit of a Cinderella run going to the conference finals uh you know it was Luca Jalen Brunson had a, a pr- productive playoffs as well and then not an ultra inspiring supporting cast and then in the offseason, they lose Jalen Brunson in free agency to the New York Knicks. So 
much of the dialogue this season until the Kyrie Irving trade was how are the Mavericks going to bolster this roster around Luka? You know, the Mavericks have some nice, solid role player type guys. Maxi Kleba, Dwight Powell, Christian Wood, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s on the higher echelon of potential, but he also is a little bit more injury prone than some of those guys. So that was the question. They make the Kyrie trade, and now that sets up, you know, the outlook is a lot more there's there's a higher ceiling but there's uh there's riskier ground in that sense you know they gave up spencer dinwiddie who had a good playoffs for them last season as well was a productive player alongside luca had his moments they gave up dinwiddie back to the nets they also give up dorian finney smith who was one of those valued role player pieces kind of a three four tweener uh good hustle guy uh, energy guy and so you give up those guys you give up maybe some draft picks I forget the exact specifics of that trade you get Kyrie who's certainly a, a high level player a valuable player but has his own eccentricities and volatility as far as building around him and building with him in mind for a roster and so there's some risk uh, the Mavericks certainly are focused on this season more than anything else. Luca's still very young. Um, they, they're not necessarily, they, they want to make pushes in the next season, couple seasons to make sure that Luca sticks around. I think that's a big thing. You know, he had, I think he's under contract for at least a, a little while, but they don't want him to be a guy that leaves in free agency after they didn't put enough around him with a roster. So that's kind of, you know, where they're at. If we look at the standings, uh, Mavericks seventh in the West right now, just a half game behind the Warriors and the Clippers. So if they can make a push, they can get up into that four or five spot and be in decent position for the, you know, the playoffs. Maybe even they can challenge the Kings towards the end of the season. Um, so that's, you know, the immediate outlook. They want to get themselves in good playoff positioning and they want to see what they can do in the playoffs with a Kyrie and Luka tandem. Is that enough to win in the West this year? It very well could be because of how wide open the West is. So that's the immediate outlook. I think if you're a Mavericks fan, you're probably, you know, banking on or, or locked into that idea of what they can do in this postseason with this kind of open, strange Western conference we have this season. So that's, but then if you're looking the outlook for, Next season and beyond, the question is, can they re-sign Kyrie? I believe his contract expires at the end of the season and becomes a free agent, um, or he has the option to, to opt out. One of those two, I believe, is the situation. So is Kyrie part of the long-term picture? Depending on what happens in the postseason, it could be yes, definitely, or no, he's not the answer. In which case, if he's not the answer, you've given up some of your capital to get him for just a little you know, trial run, which is not great. Maybe you figure out a sign and trade, but those don't happen ultra often. So it's kind of an interesting position. I think if you're a Mavericks fan, you know, the they've always been a very competitive team and they've won a title in the past. So it's a team that wants to win championships, but it's also a team that at times has been a little bit complacent at just being a consistent playoff squad and you have fun watching Luca. Again, that's not what you want to shoot for, but I think with how young Luca is, they have time, you know, 
And that's, I guess, the luxury of being in their situation. They have one of the top talents in the NBA. Certainly at his age, he might be, you know, top three, top number one. Uh, for that matter, he's he's incredible. You have the, you know, double-edged sword of we have time and we can figure this thing out over a few seasons. But also, if we don't figure it out, you know, within that time if we don't convince him that we've got something worth staying for here he can just leave you know and we and we lose him and then we have nothing to build around so so it's kind of like the lebron i i would equate it to lebron's you know years in cleveland his first stretch in cleveland you have this generational talent you know that he's he can be a piece for a a contending type of team you need to build the roster around it and you have time, but at the same time, you don't have as much time as you would you would hope. And so that's kind of the emphasis for Dallas going forward, especially, you know, they're focused on this season. But what can they do um, at, you know, after this season with Luka? What does the roster look like? How do they build, you know, a, a, a contending team, not just a, a nice playoff team with a really exciting player? So that's that's kind of the outlook. Um, let's jump to our historic team again, if you're. Not familiar, we talk about the current team outlook, and then we talk about a historic team as well as a historic player from that franchise history. So we're going to talk about uh, the kind of an easy pick for this one, the 1988 Dallas Mavericks, who made it to the conference finals against the Los Angeles Lakers and nearly won that series uh, in 1988. Um, Kind of an easy pick. If you're looking at the Mavericks history of teams, you have, of course, the 2011 team, the championship team, from 01 to 2012, they made the playoffs every year. They were high-seeded teams. They were, you know, you have the 07 team that lost in the first round, the upset. Um, so there's that stretch that's, you know, their most dominant stretch with Dirk at the helm and uh, Jason Kidd for a lot of those years, uh, Michael Finley, that kind of core. But then you also have the 80s group, and this is the pinnacle of that 80s group. And so I thought this would be a good one to go with. They were 53 and 29 that season. It was actually their first season with a new head coach. Up to that point, they had been coached by uh, Dick Mata, who was a, a championship coach in his own right. He had won uh, a championship with the Washington Bullets, uh, the now Washington Wizards. He'd won a championship in 78, made it back to the finals the very next year. He was an accomplished coach in Washington. He was a great coach in Chicago before that. And he had been Dallas's first coach as an expansion team, got them into the playoffs and then uh, decided to step down and give the opportunity to um, John McLeod, who was a, a very accomplished coach in his own right. He had coached the Phoenix Suns to the championship to, or not to the championship, but the NBA finals in 1976, his third year as a head coach there uh, and that's a pretty remarkable achievement. They it was a very competitive final series. Coach the Suns throughout the the mid seventies through the late mid to late eighties, and they were some there were some great Phoenix teams. They were you know consistently a top two or three seed in the Western Conference. So he was a great coach. You know, not much not much better you could do as a replacement for a, a good coach in his own right. They get John McLeod, and they. Uh, they have just about as good of a record as they did the season prior, excuse me, uh, just two less wins, 53 and 29. But they, uh, instead of losing in the first round, losing the conference finals. 
They beat the Rockets in the first round. This is the Rockets team with uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, you know, pretty close to his prime. They still had a productive Ralph Sampson, uh, Rodney McRae. So it was a good, it was a good squad, a squad that made the finals themselves at one point. Uh, the conference semifinals, they beat Denver Nuggets, who still had that great core: Alex English, Fat Lever, uh, Michael Adams, Jay Vincent, who is a former Maverick himself. Kind of an interesting note. Uh, those Nuggets '80s teams that were hard to beat, and so they get to the the conference finals against the Lakers. This is a Showtime Lakers right in their prime. It's Magic. It's James Worthy, Kareem, an aging Kareem, but still a productive Kareem. Uh, AC Green, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper, and they took them to seven games. And uh, we've talked a lot about that team itself. Let's talk about the players on this team. Uh, the 80s Mavericks, people might know about the team, but might not know about the players. Uh, it starts with Mark Aguirre. He was the pick ahead of Isaiah Thomas, uh, number one pick in the 1981 draft. Yes, 1981. And he was uh, a consistent all-star, certainly not as great of a player as Isaiah Thomas, but a three-time all-star, won two championships alongside Isaiah Thomas, which is an interesting note. But um, again, he fits that mold. I think I talked about it last episode, the Adrian Dantley, Bernard King mold of versatile, like forwards, small forwards, they're are kind of like bigger guards. They can't really shoot ultra deep, but they've got, you know, a decent mid-range game. They can slash, they can score inside. They have some post moves. They can do some of those types of things. Uh, he fits that mold and he was one of the best, especially in that year, 25 points per game, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, decent percentages, good leader. You have Orlando Blackman alongside him. who's kind of an overqualified uh, a little bit secondary guy. About 19 points a game, three and a half rebounds, nearly four assists, great percentages. Uh, interestingly enough, not really a three-point shooter that year, but later in his career would become one of the better three-point shooters in the NBA. Uh, kind of an interesting note. They had James Donaldson starting at center. One of the forgotten giants, he was 7'2", 275, one-time All-Star, very solid inside presence. Sam Perkins, uh, the stretch four, one of the – First stretch fours and one of the best in the uh, you know twentieth century, I suppose. Um, Roy Tarpley coming off the bench, uh, one of those eighties careers marred by um, substance abuse issues, but he was uh, one, a very promising player when he did play. He was a six man player for them this year. Uh, could have been an all star type player. Uh, if he was able to stay on the floor. They had Brad Davis as the backup point guard. Derek Harper was the starting point guard. Harper, a solid defensive player, a decent three-point shooter in his own right. So Detlef Schrempf's coming off the bench too, and this was his his younger years. So that eight-man group, I think, was was great. And I feel like that's enough. You know, They could have gone to the finals, maybe even won a championship. If they had gone to the finals that year, they would have played the Detroit Pistons. Uh, which you'd probably have to pick Detroit in that matchup. But this was still a great Maverick squad. Um, just wanted to recognize what they were able to do uh, in the playoffs. You know, they fell short a little bit. And there's the the note of Mark Aguirre. There's still some hurt feelings in Dallas uh, related to his play in the playoffs, his play uh, 
post the very next season, they, they fell off, they struggled, they traded him mid season. Uh, felt like he, you know, there, there's people who thought in Dallas, he had quit on the team. Um, he's given his own reasons as far as why, you know, that kind of breakup happened. It's it, kind of a sore subject, but it diminishes and takes away from what that team was able to do that able to do, excuse me, that, that great 88 squad. So I just wanted to recognize that, uh, that group and how, um, how impressive that season was for them. Um, that being said, I want to focus on one of those players specifically, as far as our franchise, uh, historic player, legend player, uh, Rolando Blackman. And we mentioned him, uh, I mentioned him as an overqualified, secondary player i don't know about overqualified that might have been an overstatement but he was uh, a four-time all-star in his own right he's actually made the all-star game more times than mark guire um consistent 20 point per game score shooting guard six six um <clears throat> he was actually born in panama city so he's the first nba's first panamanian born uh nba player which is kind of an interesting side note in his career uh he played 11 seasons in dallas uh, through all those seasons, he averaged 19 points per game, three and a half rebounds, three assists. Uh, you talk about consistent players. He was just about as consistent as they come. Uh, he only missed maybe uh, oh, just quick total trying to run through. He missed maybe like 20 games total over his Dallas stretch. It might be a touch more than that, but very consistent. Missed you know a couple games a season. Uh, percentages, points, rebounds, he did about everything on a, a very consistent level. And that was very cool to see um, multiple time all-star in the 87 game. He hit uh, some clutch free throws at the end back when, you know, people would say, Oh, the back when the game was competitive, it, you know, it was still, there was some showmanship there, but hit some clutch free throws at the end of regulation in the all-star game to force it in force it overtime. And the West team won in the overtime period. So kind of a cool one, uh, cool note there. Um, so later in his career, he was traded, uh, to the New York Knicks where he was a, a productive member, uh, more of a bench, uh, contributor, but a productive member of the team that went to the finals against the Rockets, uh, in 94. So he was still a nice player there, played internationally for a couple of years before retiring. Um, just again, another solid career that's, you know, he was a very good player. He was an all-star, but he gets forgotten because he was more that consistent presence on some good teams that didn't really win the championship. And that's kind of the, I don't know about tragedy. That's maybe an extreme word, but kind of, you know, unfortunate that he gets forgotten uh, for what he was able to do. Um, he was also a great collegiate player as well. Um, he was inducted in 2015 into the, National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, great collegiate career at Kansas State University. Uh, yeah, Mavericks and Knicks. Uh, he helped assist the, the Mavericks a little bit as an assistant coach uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, did some play-by-play -play type stuff, uh, worked within the organization, helped out the Mavericks. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's there's not much more to say than that. Just a solid player. I uh, wanted to give him just his just due and, uh, and a great player in our, in the league's history. Uh, with that being said, that takes care of our, this day or not this day in history. That takes care of our franchise focus, but we're going to move into our, this day in history fact, uh, March 2nd, 
from 1962. And of course, we had to go with this one. This day in history, March 2nd, 1962, Wilt Chamberlain of the Philadelphia Warriors scored 100 points, the most ever by an NBA player in a single game, during his team's 169 to 147 win over the New York Knicks in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Chamberlain shot 36 of 63 from the field and 28 of 32 from the free throw line to go with 25 rebounds. His 50.4 points per game scoring average in 80 80 games during the 1962 season remains an NBA record as well. Um, One of the all-time notable stats in NBA history, you can't not share that one when it comes up as far as when it comes up as your this day in history fact. So, So there you go. There's that fact for you there's our franchise focus and that's today's show uh thank you all for listening if you want to check out the instagram page that's crossover across time on instagram all one word we share content from the show but also uh content from across the nba uh we'll be back tomorrow with our uh kind of weekend or weekday wrap-up show get ready for the weekend uh this weekend we'll also have a couple bonus franchise focus episodes for so make sure you tune into that Um, with that being said thanks again and we'll be back with you tomorrow